Welcome to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. A reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360 Monday to Friday between 2 and 3 p.m. To people watching, hello, I'm your host, Swam Lou. And this being Tuesday, I am joined by Blake Murphy, who you can hear across pretty much every program on this station. But uh, for this one, producer, hit it. No? No Blake Murphy Tuesdays? Not yet? All right, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get to the drop. But in the meantime, Blake, <laughs> um, we have actual Raptors news to discuss. Thank you to Jake Fisher of Bleacher <laughs> Report. Um, probably one of the most prolific, um, what, rumor purveyors or inside information purveyors in the NBA, like in terms of just volume. Yeah, I think so. And, very, and especially this time volume. of year, he had a ton of draft stuff last year. And he yeah. was, you know, he was kind of one of the leading voices on the, hey, the Scotty Barnes stuff is real. Yeah. So using that, he was like, ooh, I have the trust of the Raptors fan base. It's a slow week. There's four days in between games before the NBA Finals start. Mm. Let's uh, let's cause some chaos. Yeah. Well, there's a little bit of chaos out there now because um, Jake Fisher of Bleach Report just released a story on Tuesday morning about how OG Anobi might potentially be available. It's interesting because I wanted to get your thoughts starting with this. So he writes, quote, Word has circulated among rival front offices that Ananobi grew dissatisfied at times with his role in Toronto, where Scotty Barnes joined Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet as the primary ball handlers in Nick Nurse's offense. However, the very next paragraph reads, two sources with knowledge of the dynamic told Bleacher Report that Ananobi has not directly expressed discontent with his situation with the Raptors, perhaps the conversation around him has been driven more by external interest in acquiring the fifth-year forward's services. So what we have there is two directly conflicting <laughs> reports on if OG's happy or not with the Raptors. Um, so, Blake, yeah, uh, make sense of this for us. Yeah, so it, it's tough because I, I know Jake a little bit and I know where he's coming from in a report like this. And I know how difficult it can be to to judge these things, right? Because anytime you're getting information as a reporter, you're getting it for a reason. I, I don't think there are a lot of front office executives around the sport who are just telling stuff to reporters for the sake of doing it. Mm. Maybe there are some, like the rival executives thing could be a real thing. Um, but what you're looking at here is somebody wants that information out there. So you got to kind of trace it back. And this is what you, and this isn't unique to Jake's situation. You got to trace it back in any rumor case. Who is this benefiting? Why might this get out there? It's certainly not the Raptors putting this out there. Um, And if it's coming from OG's camp, they were very, very careful with Jake to make sure it's doesn't sound like it's coming from clutch because Mm. there's no, there's nothing about OG specifically saying it. There's nothing about this is coming from his camp. It's all out. It's all external. Having said that, it would not be the first time we've heard rumblings of OG and OG's people questioning what his role is with this team in the long term offensively. Wait, hold uh, on. What do you mean by that? Well, it's been out there before. Um, ahead of his extension in 2020, that was one of the talking points of like, you know, are you paying OG Ananobi on an extension for what he's done so far and what he is right now? Or are you paying him like a guy who can expand his usage to a 20% usage rate and still keep up that defense? And, you know, that negotiation came down to the, came down to the wire in terms of an extension. I think if you're OG, you're looking at that and being like, huh, I probably could have got a little bit more. 
I set the market for Mikhail Bridges and I'm a little under it. And I'm not yep. saying there's ever been dissatisfaction or discontentment necessarily, but look, it's not a secret that OG Ananobi has entered the last couple seasons with the talking point of like, well, what if OG Ananobi has more of a role in the offense? Mm. And that's because he, like most basketball players, thinks he's capable of handling a bigger role in the offense. He's worked hard in the off seasons to expand his game a little bit. And we saw some returns of that early in the year and especially in the preseason. So yeah, I mean, if I were to take just what Jake reported and try to, you know, without saying, well, Jake's wrong or Jake didn't hear that, right? Mm -hmm. I would say that there's probably been some rumbling around the league for some time now. And the way this season played out didn't help quiet that because OG was the guy who, it was one of the questions we asked all year, right? Oh, of yeah. Like when everyone's no, healthy, whose usage goes down? Mm -hmm. And it ended up being OGs. Now, there are a lot of reasons for that that we can get into. Sure. Um, but big picture, I think this is probably a case of, it had been out there before. Maybe it's still out there, maybe not. But if you're another team that has a piece that you might be trying to shop this year and you might be trying to set a market for, well, OG Ananobi's a, a pretty, pretty nice trade chip to be setting your sights on or setting the market with. Like if you're if you're Utah, say, and you want to move Rudy Gobert, mm -hmm. you start putting it out there that OG would be a piece of a package. Or you're Portland and you're, you know, shopping Josh Hart in the number seven pick, which uh, according to Jake's reporting, was not enough for OG Ananobi. But mm. if you're putting it out there, it's like, okay, you're trying to set the market of Josh Hart and the number seven pick should get us a player of X caliber. So right, right, that's right. kind of what I see here. Like, like most of the reporting is, hey, this is from sources outside the organization. This is what people around the league are thinking. And it's part predatory and part, hey, it would make sense if someone eventually in this Raptors core six that they talk about there's not enough balls for everyone. There's not enough shots for everyone to grow maybe in the way that they they think or they want to. So mm. um, I'd be surprised. Like Jake's reporting says this anyway. I'd be surprised if OG has been like, trade me, I'm unhappy. Yeah. But if you're other teams and you're looking at, hey, how do I get a young wing on a good contract? It's maybe you put some stuff out there like this and whether it's OG or, you know, the next guy down the line that you could potentially acquire – so that's kind of what I, how I look at it is, you know, it's, it's other teams probably it's a little predatory, but uh -huh. it, it also, it would make a little bit of sense at the, you know, just kind of common sense level. Yeah. Well, look, I, I'm really happy you said this um, because I, I do think that perhaps my reading of this is wrong, um, but my sense of just seeing the reaction online, especially on Twitter um, from a lot of Raptor fans was like, no way this is this is wrong or this is out of nowhere or this is pushing an agenda or this is something that like the Raptors don't leak all this other stuff. And it's like, okay, number one, I'm sure the Raptors did not leak this. Okay. This does not benefit the Raptors. No. Um, but number two, like we can be mature about this. The fact that teams value OG and especially when you look at a, a conversation like this, where Josh Hart, who is, is a role player on a decent contract, um, you know, serviceable um, plus a number seven overall pick, was not enough to entice a, a trade package uh, to jar OG, for example. Um, that's a good thing. It's actually a really good thing that people want your players. Yeah. Um, and, of course, I think when you look at it, I totally agree with you. If you are a, a GM around the league and you're sort of, you know, trying to figure out, okay, how do you upgrade your roster? Like, let's say in the cases of 
of uh, Portland and also with Utah, they clearly have star players that they want to keep happy. They want to surround them with players who can win the playoff setting. OG is exactly that type of player to put around a star like that. Um, and again, if you're reading this whole situation, you could see how he would be potentially available or how he potentially would be amenable to uh, a move outside of the Raptors. I think it's interesting. Let's actually start the conversation with just like what's OG's ambitions, right? Because mm-hmm. when you think about it, um, OG has been progressively given more and more chances. Um, obviously, the, you, if, you, if you just go back to like, let's say the 2018-19 season, right? That year, um, he comes off the bench. The reason for that, Kawhi Leonard was here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he comes off the bench that season. The following season after that, he starts and from that point onwards, he has been entrenched as a starter. Sometimes he started and was kind of like the fifth option. I guess, honestly, you could probably call Marcus Gasol the fifth option in that 2019-2020 season, but he did touch the ball quite a bit. But when you look at something like touches per game, which NBA.com tracks, right? 2019, he was at 24 touches per game. 2020 season, this is the championship defense season, he's at 34. The season after that, he's at 45. So you're seeing a steady increase of 10 touches per game, per season, right? And then this past season, he's at 51 touches per game, which is still another jump. It's interesting because when you look at just the month of November, that was the month where obviously Pascal was still recovering from shoulder surgery and they started the season. And Scotty, you know, honestly, Scotty was great from the start of the season onward. Um, but it was basically like Fred and OG really had to figure this out. In that month of November, they were at 56 touches per game. So you're, that's also consistent with the 10 plus. But obviously, with Pascal coming back, with Scotty emerging, with OG getting into a very injury riddled season, turns out his touches did not go up as much. However, when you look at his usage, like three seasons ago, he was at 3% of his overall possessions were isolations. Like, honestly, it was very, very rare to see OG isolate. Broken plays are, and garbage time. Exactly. Yeah. That's like the standard baseline for anybody who mm-hmm. is a wing. 6%. Of his possessions or isolations last season, which we saw more after Norm was traded. I thought he had an expanded role, OG offensively. Then this past season, 12% of his possessions are, are were isolations, which suggests to me that was a very purposeful uh, reallocation of sort of how the offense was moving. And if you look at it in terms of the pull-up jumpers per game that, or just overall that he took three seasons ago, he took 39 pull-up jumpers all season. Last season, he took 68 pull-up jumpers. This season, 187 pull-up jumpers, which means he is looking for his offense. He's given license to to take chances on offense to create because if you're taking a pull-up jumper, most likely you are trying to create that yourself or you're, let's say you're attacking a close, how you're stepping in, you're, you're still essentially creating your own shot there. So it feels like the Raptors have given OG that opportunity to create and more and more each season. However, my question to you is, what are the returns on that? And are you satisfied with that so far? So here's where I got to turn my back on, you know, I, I think over the years I've been one of the largest OG Ananobi supporters. And, and this is where if I were the Raptors and say this is true, and this is a conversation that Masai and Bobby and Nick Nurse have to have with OG at some point. Here's some things I'm pointing out to him. Um, your usage increased this year and your efficiency dropped off a cliff. You got to use 12.2% of your possessions in isolation, and you scored in the 11th percentile with a fairly high turnover rate as far as isolations go. Isolation is supposed to be your no turnover 
possession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. part of why you run it late in games, and he mm-hmm. turned it over on 11% of those Damn. opportunities. And, and again, 11th percentile as a scorer in yeah. isolation. So we're talking about 0.6 points per possession, right? We're not, and that's a that's a fairly big sample. Like, there's not a lot of guys around basketball who get free reign to take 100 isolations on the season and not get that scaled back a little bit. Mm, and yeah. then here's the other thing is, and this is a larger OG Ananobi question, but up to November 15th, which is roughly when Pascal was back and, and feet under him, 24.1% usage rate, but only 53.2% true shooting. That's a big drop. That's not terrible, but that's a big drop off from where OG Ananobi's been the last couple seasons. Mm-hmm. And then he misses 15 of the next 16 games. Right. So you try to work him back in. Um, he returns on New Year's Eve. He's, he's healthy for six weeks. You try to work him back in, but his usage drops to 20%. Mm-hmm. His true shooting percentage does nudge up a little bit, but then he misses 15 games again. And then he comes back for those couple of games late in the year. His usage is down around 17%. His true shooting is 70%. That's the small chunk of season where I'm like, yeah, if I'm OG Ananobi, I I was hitting everything for those couple weeks. And then he gets hurt again. Right. And then in the playoffs, he actually got to use 22% of their possessions in the playoffs. He was pretty efficient. Yeah, he was great. I, 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 think I the, really enjoyed his playoff performance. Yeah, the playoff the playoff version of OG Ananobi offensively was, I mean, I think both sides would be like, hey, could we agree that if you are 58% true shooting, we'll give you 22% of possessions and you still defend really well? I think all sides would be really happy with that. Yep. But the unfortunate part is every time OG started to get a little bit of momentum as a larger share of the offense, he got hurt this year. Mm. And if you're the team, you're trying to work in six, seven guys to your five-man lineups, someone's going to have to lose usage. And if you're the guy who keeps coming in and out of the lineup, it makes it like Fred did that too, but Fred has the ball in his hands all the time. Okay. Fred's yep. never going to have to really worry about where his shots come from because he kind of dictates that. Yeah. But if you're OG and you're competing with Precious Sachua and Scotty Barnes and Gary Trent and and those guys, you know, like let's say Fred and Pascal are the top of the hierarchy yep. and then the rest of the guys are all competing for touches. If you're coming in and out of the lineup and the other guys aren't playing poorly, it's hard to come back into the mix and make the case that, you know, you should jump back to third in the pecking order instead of fifth in the pecking order, fourth in the pecking order. So that that puts the Raptors and it puts Nick Nurse in a tough spot, right? Because mm-hmm. do you build your offense around OG Ananobi as a higher usage guy when he's in and out of the lineup and he's so important to you defensively? That's a tough one. Like it, it's it's got to be tough for the team that every time he got going and carved out a larger role, he got hurt. Yeah, And that's not his fault, I don't think. Like he he keeps getting these random injuries that like it's not – a consistent knee or hamstring or quad thing. It's not, you know, he doesn't have bad ankles. He just has weird stuff happen to him all the time. It's not, I feel like it's not his fault, but he also hasn't played a full season since his rookie year. So there are some questions there. Like there's some, some push and pull there. I think with, yeah. with you know, there's the old David price thing of, if you don't like it, pitch better. I'm not saying it's all the way there, but OG didn't have as good an offensive season as he probably hoped with the expanded role, so his role shrunk, and he was in and out of the lineup, so his role shrunk. Mm -hmm. So you can understand it from the team side, even if, as I do, I still am very high on OG Ananobi and think he can grow into a larger offensive role. Well, okay, that's the that's the central question, right? Because I I think this is probably the question the Raptors are asking themselves. This is probably the question that rival teams are asking themselves is like, what is OG Ananobi's potential? And not even just potential, like, two, three years. I mean, like, potential, like, next season, right? Because mm-hmm. the thing with OG is a little bit hard to figure out. So I remember last season, 
um, the Raptors trade Norm at the trade deadline. And obviously that was a really weird year as Tampa or whatever, but it's still meaningful basketball. And it felt like once they dealt Norm, it was like, all right, we're going to run a lot of these sets for OG. Mm-hmm. And we're going to give just overall OG's going to get more touches. Last 18 games of the season for OG Anobi, this is after Norm gets dealt, averages 18.5 points per game, um, shoots 47% from the field, shoots 40% from three on seven attempts per game, gives you five rebounds, three assists, you know, defense, mm-hmm. whatever, right? So pretty good production. Then coming into this season, the first two games, I don't know what, what OG was on. <laughs> he was 3 of 17 and then 4 of 17, okay? I'm just going to be nice and erase that because he, he didn't look like himself. Then there was a 13-game period between those first two games and then when he got uh, the hit pointer injury mm-hmm. in practice, I knocked him out for a month. He averaged 21 points per game, five rebounds, three assists, shot 46% from the field, and shot 40% from three on 7.5 three-point attempts per game. So if that is the version of OG that you expect next season, roughly essentially 20 points per game, 47% shooting, 40% from three on a high volume of attempts with defense, then yes, absolutely, he is worth more than a seventh pick plus Josh Josh Hart. Hart. Yeah. And yes, absolutely, the Raptors should be looking to keep him and develop him and, and put the pieces around him. However, as you mentioned, it's kind of up and down. It was pretty up and down, and he got hurt a bunch of times. And I'd argue, look, there's I don't know that anyone has thought more of OG's defense over the years than me and written more about him being all defense and stuff. Mm. He wasn't that great defensively to start the year when he was carrying a larger offensive load. And if you're talking about how you construct a functional offense with this team's identity, the more OG has the ball in his hands, the fewer of those three-point opportunities that are very valuable are the fewer of those he's going to get. So you're in a weird spot where player development-wise, yes, he should be getting more opportunities. You should take the lumps. Like, the 82, the 82 games are not as important as where you're going, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's all there. But if you were maximizing for one game yep. and one must win, well, OG is your probably third best outside shooter as a spot-up guy after Fred and Gary. yeah, yeah. He is one of your best transition players. He's one of your best offensive rebounders. He's one of your best cutters. Mm-hmm. He does all the role player thing. And role player is not even fair because OG is better than a role player or a high-end yeah. 3 and D yeah, guy or whatever. But those are all the kind of get in where you fit in shot types. And he's very good at all of them. Yeah. And that's other, what makes him efficient. Other guys on the team aren't that good at them. And they're maybe a little better with the ball in their hands or, or improvising and stuff like that. And then OG's also your... At this point still, maybe Precious gets there, but right now he's your most important defender. Yeah. So if you're optimizing this team for one game and one win, yeah, sorry, OG, but that's not – That's you're better off filling in all these gaps that the team needs. The The hard part with anything like this, and you, we'll probably talk about it with Gary Trent next year too because he'll be heading into an opt-out year. Mm-hmm. Um, when Precious is due an extension, we'll probably talk about it about him, is – where is that trade-off as a team that is trying to win now but also develop? Right. Because, again, I just laid out the case why you wouldn't want to expand OG's role in an important game, but not every game is that important. You can take some lumps, and you can, you know, certainly Fred's usage is going to come down, whether it's minutes or actual usage percentage. You think so? Not another all-star campaign? No. I think mm. if they play, right. I don't know, Nick Nurse seemed very 
very much like he is not going to use Fred that way because uh, not having Fred is so costly. I don't know, but yeah, I agree with you. Don't don't burn him out. It makes yeah. sense. You got to you got to sell to everybody. Look, I, Look, I think there are a hundred yeah. shots or a hundred offensive possessions, let's say, available in a game. Mm-hmm. You can create more of those for yourself by getting offensive rebounds. Oh, you the can... Raptors definitely. I was going to say, out of those 100, probably yeah. 80 of those are, are regular shots. Yeah. And then 20 of those are putbacks in transition. But it, you only yeah. have so many of them to go around, no matter how many turnovers you force and no matter how many offensive rebounds you get. So mm. you have to figure out how you're going to split this stuff up. Um, and, you know, OG can help himself, too, by improving in a couple ways. His handle hasn't come along as well as we'd hope. He does have some nice moves. He's got a nice spin move. He's so strong going to the rim that he can finish through contact a lot or get to the line, but his handle isn't all the way there, and that's why he's a little more turnover-prone on ISOs than we'd expect. Um, His passing has always been, I think, an underrated skill when it comes to like, hey, I'm going to cut baseline, and then I'm going to find a dump off, or I'm the roll man, and I'm going to make a great kick out off the short roll that nobody expected because nobody expects me to get the ball as a roll man. Like he is a good passer, but when he has controlled possessions, that hasn't been there. Mm. It, it's and that's that's a development thing. Like you can go back to Demar's, you know, third season carrying an offensive workload, and that was the criticism of him. Yeah. Pascal a couple years ago, he hit the same kind of point when they were expanding his role in the bench mob year. So that's a natural thing guys got to go through. It's just. These are the hard questions that happen when you're trying to win and develop. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And look, I think you have to consider the the construct of the team as well because I think some people might look at it in terms of like, well, the Raptors do have Pascal here playing that position. They have Scotty here playing that position. And clearly Scotty's role is going to continue to increase, obviously, now that he's run Rookie of the Year and just straight up has the most potential on the team. It's not close. But... um I, I guess I just don't buy into that kind of thinking, first off. Um, I don't think the Raptors do either. I think, like, what they've really done, excuse me, with is is build a roster that has overlapping skill sets on purpose because they want to make that into their identity. That mm-hmm. The identity is that skill set. It's also that the more of those guys you have, the harder it is to deal with, right? If, sure, if yeah. one well, you, guy on the team can handle and pass and shoot yeah. and everyone around him is Matisse Teibel and J. Cole – then it doesn't really matter. But if every one why, of those... Why you got to diss Daryl Morey's roster like this? Um, <laughs> they could use J. Cole, actually. J. Cole already glued to the bench for Scarborough, by the way. Uh, well, uh, he yeah. played four minutes the other night. Um, but no, if you have one of those guys, it's it's good. That's a good player. You can build an offense with that. Like, you see it with, you know, it's the thing people are still dreaming on with Ben Simmons. But if you have a bunch of those guys, yeah. then when that first advantage is created and the ball gets kicked out and that guy attacks what's already a small advantage... He has the same skill set to then make that advantage larger and set someone else up. Like, those are multiplier skill sets. It's why a guy like Marc Gasol was mm. so valuable, even though he couldn't score a lot. It's why a guy in the playoffs like Thad Young stood out so much, where it's like, wow, another one of those guys who's smart and can handle a bit and make those passes, suddenly everything's easier for everyone, it feels like. So that's why they want to have a team full of them. It's just when when those guys are young and they have big contracts ahead of them, Hard to get everyone enough touches, probably. Sure, that's fair. Um, the other question that I was thinking about was, what if it's not about whether you can fit OG with Pascal with Scotty? What if the question is, you have pressures coming up, and I'm already asking myself, how do you get pressures in the starting five, mm-hmm. right? And well, I know the answer to that. Sure, Gary yeah, goes you, to the bench. You can. Put Gary on the bench. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I don't think they want to do that. I mean, I, just, I don't think they want to do that, but 
if they if they okay. wanted that, they could have tried that sometime this season. I, I think when you're looking at it though, maybe you have more of a willingness to move OG because you feel confident that Precious can step in and play his role either close to good enough or as good or maybe even better. Can we have that conversation? Yeah, I, I look, I don't think so, there are certain elements of OG's role that, no, Precious isn't going to do as well. Like, he's not going to shoot seven threes per game and, and hit 40%? He's he's probably not. Although okay. we didn't think he was going to be able to hit trail threes and pick and pop threes yet this year, and he hit a whole bunch of them after attempting none yep. in his entire career before that. So um, I don't want to put caps on it, but he's certainly not going to be as helpful as OG Ananobi is in some of those th- ways we just went went through as soon as next year. Um, he, I do think he got almost as switchy as OG defensively yes, by the end of last year. Eye opening, yeah, eye opening. Because we also saw a lot of OG out yes. this season with Precious being that guy slotting in. Yeah, just saying. So and it did decently. Here's the the other part of the Precious question is if you're trading OG, what or or if teams are calling on OG, everyone seems to assume oh the Raptors would want to want a center like Rudy Gobert makes sense mm. oh maybe DeAndre Ayton makes sense I don't think the Ayton thing makes sense for either side because they already have yeah. Mikhail Bridges and um if you can't play your center defensively in a playoff series I don't think that's going to be the type of guy the Raptors are going after um but the center question like if you think Precious Achua has come along enough that he can play a starter's role and expand his minutes mm-hmm. and take up some of the defensive responsibility of OG Anobi. Why are you then trading OG Ananobi for a center who would knock Precious back to the bench? Yeah. So, like, I and I know Precious isn't necessarily a center in the way people traditionally think of centers. He's six foot nine. Um, you know, he's the closest thing they have to a rim protector and a rim runner, but he's not, you know, a prototypical no. center. And certainly the Raptors could use a change of look center, a change of pace center off the bench, someone who can, you know, rim run a little bit more and maybe block some shots. But yeah, it, that's the thing I have trouble with is if you're if part of the argument for being okay shopping OG to improve elsewhere is that you believe Precious Achua can step into a larger role, then why would you then target someone in that trade that shrinks Precious Achua's role back down? It's a it's a tough balance where like if you're that high on Precious, you either don't need to move OG because you think Precious is going to develop and that's part of, you know, your core six takes a step forward mm-hmm. or you're then moving OG, I think, to target other areas of weakness. Um, I know we're going to talk about the draft in the second half and, and that's where, you know, maybe you talk about things like rim pressure and offensive shot creation and stuff like that. They only have the number 33 pick, so you're probably not getting near-term help. Hey, maybe but, you get seven. Yeah, yeah, maybe get seven and Josh Hart. And, yeah. um, Actually, we'll talk about that in the yeah. second half. Don't worry. Um, well, I mean, look... <sighs> You can tell I don't want to trade OG Ananobi. Me like neither. I, I know I just. <laughs> I actually really want to see him. Stay. I know I played the kind of other side of it of like, hey, yeah. here's why you didn't get more usage if you're unhappy about it. But also, I think he's really, really good. I think he's an all-world defender. I think he's awesome in the role he has and can do more. Mm-hmm. So I, you would have to blow me away with a, a trade. He's also really affordable on his contract. Yeah. And that's an important thing too because you're not a cap space team. Yeah, I I agree on all of that. Um, and by the way, this point about the Raptors really wanting a center, um, I'm again, I, I I respect Jake. Jake has done a lot of really good reporting. He's first to a lot of things. Um, 
and I just the grind of it. Like I, I don't, I wouldn't even know how to approach doing what he does. I respect that a lot. How many times has Jake's linked the Raptors to a center? <laughs> I don't know. My my bigger question here is why? No, I'm just saying, like, it, it, why Nick, Nick trade Claxton, OG Kristaps Porzingis? <laughs> uh, Aiden today? Yeah. Uh, who? Which other centers? Rudy Gobert in the same piece? Yeah. Rashawn Holmes yeah, last, sure. last summer yeah. probably. Yeah. Um, so I'm, just, I'm just saying. There's here's the thing. Here's the other thing with center stuff, especially if you believe that Precious Chua can take a step. Mm-hmm. You do have your mid-level exception this summer, and maybe, you know, look, maybe there's a trade for a buy-low on someone. Um, you know, I don't I don't think it's Holmes for, for some other reasons. Um Maybe you try to pry Daniel Gafford free or something like that. But this team has kind of shown a belief that they can take guys and get more out of them. They did it with Bismack Biombo. Yep. They've done it with Precious Achua. Obviously, the Aaron Baines thing didn't didn't work out. But there's some track record there. And I find myself wondering, like, are they going to go trade one of their core pieces for a center when they could also just sign Mo Bamba and try to turn him, try to do the same thing they did with Precious? And, and that's a guy who's a more traditional interior guy who you can maybe sell on hey your development system and, and what the long-term improvement in your market value is there I don't, I don't know um i just think there's more paths to addressing the teams i don't even think center was like that like obviously some matchups you need a better center but how often was defense the biggest problem we were talking about with this team no nah, man if you're getting if you're looking at a center what you're you're hoping for is better screen setting and, and a vertical mm-hmm. threat mm-hmm and like like Robert Williams isn't coming through that door. There aren't Robert Williams on trees, but that's the kind of offensive profile that would be different on this team. Um, I don't think you need another back to the basket guy because all your big wings can post up. Yeah, fair enough. Um, also, to this point about center, um, it reminds me of, and I guess even just a conversation about OG. It's reminding me of Masai Ujiri at his season-ending press conference was asked about this very thing. And producer, we have the clip of Masai's thoughts on team building and centers in particular. Man, if I can find more preciouses and more, you know, like Pascal's and OGs, trust me, we'll have 15 more of them <laughs> on this team. We'll continue to pile them up. Those are the players that play in this league and they play big time. Uh, but it doesn't mean that, you know, we, we can't find like bigs that play and fit how we play. And if we see those bigs, if we find those bigs that fit and uh, how we play, 100% we're going to try and get them. Yeah, so the reason I wanted to bring that clip up is two things. One, on one hand, he says very clearly that he's very happy with having 15 OGs. And then the, right after, he's like, but if we see a center that plays the style that we play, that we like, we are willing to go for it. And again, like, I, I'm not even... I, it's just going back to Jake's piece, like, you know, he's covering this idea of the Raptors winning the center. He says Raptors made a run at Jared Allen in free agency last year. That one makes sense. He, Look they, at how well that turned out for Cleveland defensively. Absolutely. Definitely. Um, almost won Evan Mobley rookie of the year. <clears throat> um, made a call about Jakob Pertl uh, last year in the, uh, yeah. in, in the trade deadline. Quote, unquote, flirted with Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis. So, like, you know, Raptors do want centers. I think based on the profile... Out of all, out of all these that have been named, outside of Sabonis, it seems like the common thing is like having a defense first center, which um, I would very much agree with. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, we've already had a Rudy Gobert conversation. It's really expensive, and that contract is like I don't know. It's, you're, someone's gonna be left holding the bag with the Rudy Gobert contract. 
Because he's going to get paid $47 million when, when he's, he's 30. 34. Yeah. No, that's that's not good for me. Better win the title in the next two years if you're making that trade. Yeah. Good luck winning the title with that, with that on your books. But you know, there is this other proposal that was outlined that the Raptors officially turned or reportedly turned down uh, from the Blazers, which was essentially Josh Hart plus a seventh pick. Or I guess there's also a trade of player exception that OG could have been traded into with the seventh pick coming back. I honestly, I, I think Hart is pretty good. I, I, yeah. I'd rather have him over a, a trade of player exception. Yeah. And it's not like unloading OG puts the Raptors into a wealth of cap space that they could then go out and shop. Like you're still, mm-hmm. you're still in a tighter cap situation. So I don't really... I don't really get the idea of not getting Josh Hart back in that one. Yeah. Plus, Josh would actually fit nicely into what the Raptors he's would want to do. Yeah, he's very but, Raptors-y. Yeah, so. yeah. But the thing is, that kind of naturally leads us to this conversation about the draft and what the seventh pick might be worth. So we're actually going to take a quick break right here. Uh, I've been your host, William Lou. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. When we come back, we're going to discuss the draft, look ahead to it a little bit, and probably do a little bit more of this OG trade talk. So... Yeah, stay tuned. Great daily gambling advice from J.D., Blake, and Alish in the Fan Morning Show's Wake and Rake. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590. The Fan, I'm your host, Wim Lou. I continue to be joined by Blake Murphy, um... You know what? Before we go on, we got a request on Twitter to shout out Maya uh, at Larry Watanabe on Twitter. Uh, apparently, it's Maya's birthday, and my DMs are starting to—or not my DMs, but my my mentions are starting to blow up a little bit. Um, so happy birthday, Maya! Loyal listener to the show, um, listen every single day, including in the off season, which uh, is is wonderful. So happy birthday, Maya! And uh, yeah, I hope you have enjoyed. <laughs> 35 minutes nonstop of uh, OGN OB trade talk, which look, listen again, as we, you and I both like during the five minute break here during commercial, we're all like, you know, I hope we were fair mm-hmm. and like realistic about everything. Cause like, I think, I don't know. I think we were. Yeah. Look, we he's clearly a, both he's really, a really like OG, really good player, yeah. a great contract. You don't want to trade him. Of course, as a young player who has other contracts ahead of him, he would like a larger role for himself. And because of that, other teams are going to be knocking on the door saying, hey, we'd take your really good player on a great contract and give him a few more touches. Yep. Yeah. This is, look, but I don't, I don't see a lot of, I mean, look, maybe there's a trade machine thing out there. I haven't looked at in detail enough yet, but it's, it's a little hard to see ways that an OG trade makes you better unless, yes, a, a star becomes available. But I don't think that star is DeAndre Ayton and... Uh, a Gobert, like even if you like to go bear for OG framework, you have to make it bigger to make the salaries. Like you're you're losing Gary Trent in that too, and it's a bigger thing. So um, you're losing. It's hard. A lot of vibes in that deal. Yeah, unofficially is my analysis. Yeah, it's the biggest swing you can have. Uh, vibes <laughs> above replacement. Yeah, no, the delta there is not good. Okay, listen, um, we're gonna have this conversation about the draft. Um, we are gonna take our first look, at least on this show, of who could potentially fit. At 33, and I asked you to prepare three guys that that you like at the 33rd pick. However, because of this conversation today, um, so one of the reported packages that are out there, I'm not surprised actually. Portland's shopping the seventh pick, um, hoping to get more immediate help around Dame. Um, 
got me kind of thinking about the value of the seventh pick. And obviously, the value of the pick is specific to each year's draft. However, I was thinking about it like, okay, so what's an OJ Anobi level player, right? Um, you know, are there players in each draft that have seven players more valuable than OJ Anobi? So I kind of wanted to go through this exercise with you. So what? let me just say, too, part yeah. of the accounting here, because the Raptors are, yes, Scotty Barnes is young, so your window is extended. But they're trying to win right now, we're assuming, because they still have Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet. So yeah. one of the things you're looking at here is how quickly this guy will be valuable as well. Not mm-hmm. necessarily just, hey, what's their long-term upside? Is someone going to help in the near term? And if they are, then there's a huge boost because they cost a quarter of what OG Ananobi costs. Right, right. So you got to consider all that. Yeah. It's a good table setting. Okay, let's go through last year's draft. I think Cade... Evan Mobley, Jalen Green, Scotty Barnes. Those are the ones that I'm like definitively better than OJ and Obi, that I would definitely take long-term over OJ and Obi. That you had no chance of getting at seven. Exactly. Um, Suggs? No. I mean, probably like we have to put yourself back in at, at draft time. I think you would have thought probably. Okay. At draft time. Josh Giddy. Now that you've no, seen it like, a year, like a year past, from now. Past Sugg, uh, so we're going a year from now, not on last year's draft. Yeah. Um, in a vacuum, yes, but with what the Raptors are building, maybe a little too redundant, mm-hmm. like I without agree. the shooting. Kaminga, probably not. Not yet. No, no he's. Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be good. He's Wagner? shown some nice flashes. Wagner gets closer, okay. like with the shooting and stuff like that. Um, and again, these guys are much less expensive. Yeah. So that's a factor here. Um, I guess you got to come down to Herb, Herb Jones. You know I love Herb Jones. But he's basically OG. Yeah, and also, like, he was... He's just cheaper OG. He was a second-round pick. Yeah. That's so, true. like, at that, this is the other thing about the draft is, like, we can go back and look at value of guys, but, like, you can't really do the, oh, with the eighth pick in this draft, you could have taken Nikola Jokic when yeah, he yeah, went yeah. in the 40s, right? Like, I, I, don't, I don't think we should look past, you know, maybe pick 15 or so um, because realistically, I mean, the Raptors would reach... But if you're reaching down 10 spots in the lottery, you should probably have looked at trading down uh, at some point. So I don't, I don't know if like a Herb Jones counts really. Okay. So in, in last year's draft, which was a very, very good draft. Yes. Way like, better than this year's draft. We are kind of struggling to find seven guys who definitively you yeah. would take over OJ and Obi. 2020 draft, Anthony Edwards, yeah. LaMelo. I mean, Tyrese, I guess. Would you take Tyrese Halliburton over OG Anobi? Probably. Probably. Yeah. I, I think okay. that skill set scales really well with what the Raptors have. Going. Really good player. I agree. Yeah. Um, Tyrese Maxey? Um, again, uh, that guy, he went, what, 27th? Yeah. So, again, that's, that's, probably, yeah. that's probably not a fair... Sure. Um, that's probably not a fair comparison because he wouldn't have been in the mix for you mm-hmm. at seven necessarily. Um I would say probably he gets there, but he really can't defend yet. So I don't know that if you're going to win right now. Yeah, I don't like obviously yeah. offensively he's exactly what the Raptors could use, but then you're you're talking about if him and Trent are on the floor together, your defense is yeah. a little more suspect. Past that it's like Desmond Bain, which again comes into the same conversation And, and they passed on Desmond Bain for Malachi Flynn. Which so, again, that was not ideal. Um all because he's got it, He's the anti-wingspan guy. He's the he's the short arm guy, so they couldn't take him. Do you think Masai just like you know because they they always come in, bring in the the prospects, mm-hmm. get some to Toronto and, or Tampa or wherever, and 
you know, gets him to know them. Do you think Masai just like gets them into the room and then he's like, hey, can you can you reach them something on that top shelf for me? Yeah. And if they can't reach it, do, do, does, does he just just tell them to leave? Yeah, the old the old uh, rumor that like, Jerome man. Moiso could grab a quarter off the top of the backboard. Uh, that has lived in Raptors lore, and it's still there are still quarters on oh. top of the backboard where uh, you got to grab it. Yeah, he's also got the analytics department. It's like there's this super sophisticated algorithm that uses all the stats, and then another one that just does wingspan and hand size, yeah, and and maybe steal percentage. Um, and that Ooh. one is uh, that's what they look at. And, and look, you told me to pick some guys to look at at 33. I don't know if we're even going to get enough time today. Also, like we got a couple weeks leading up to the draft, and I'm doing the show the whole draft week. So, um, but yeah, when I'm filtering for guys to look at most closely, I'm looking at Raptors type guys. I'm looking at wingspan. I'm looking at positional versatility. Mm-hmm. Um, and hey. The the guy currently mocked to go seven in Sam Vecini's latest mock, um, Jeremy Sokam from from Baylor, uh, is a six nine big who really gets after it defensively and can guard a couple spots and Damn, um, like OG. has uh has great instincts um at both ends of the floor. So uh-huh. uh yeah. And you know, this is what Vecini offensively he's huge, can handle the ball over large spaces, make reasonably high level passes, and finish effectively at the rim. And he's a six nine big who can guard four or five positions with his mobility. It's like, yeah, you really would be trading OG for what you hope is a younger OG with less shooting but a little more ball handling. Yeah. All right, let's just do one more quick draft. Sure. Just sorry. to illustrate this this exercise. Um, this is the twenty nineteen NBA draft. Darius Garland, I take over OG. He's a really nice point yeah. guard. Oh, you you jumped down right away. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm going through the draft and I'm just sorting my minutes played. Kind of gives oh, okay. you a rough idea of like who's actually impacted gotcha. games. Because yeah, Zion's been out more than OG. Yeah, that one's really tough. Yeah, I still think you have to do it. Like, I, yeah, like the if potential's New Orleans, too high. Yeah, if New Orleans called you tomorrow and offered that, you you would take it still. I think and, and Jaws a no brainer. Mm. Um, DeAndre Hunter, no. Jared Culver, no. That's what I'm saying. Like Kobe it, White, no. Like it, it goes, it goes off a cliff. Like I, I, Jackson I mean, Hayes, Rui, Cam Reddish. Like what is it? I, I know that's a particularly weak draft, but that's what you run into sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I'm just saying, like I, I, I think OG is like out of like an average draft, probably better than the seventh best player in that draft. Yes, is 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 my guess. So like I'm not surprised that they turned down this deal. Um, but anyway, let's look at the picks that the Raptors actually do have, which is the 33rd pick in this year's draft. Um, sorry, one more thing on a top pick. Yeah. Um, there, it's been out there that the Raptors have worked out a couple guys sure, outside yeah. of their draft range mm-hmm. that would require a trade up. Now, some of that, I had someone in my mentions earlier and apologies, this person, I forget their name. Um, but they said, Hey, that's smoke. And it could be smoke, but having followed the Raptors draft process a lot over the years, this is a situation where if an agent agrees to send you one of their guys, even if he's out of your range, you got to take it. Yeah, like, of course. If you get to take a close look at Benedict Matherin, who is probably going in the top 10, yep. but who knows? Maybe you want to get to know him for kind of basketball purposes. <laughs> maybe Nick Durst oh, is like, give yeah. me that guy. Um, maybe you want to get to know him. Baby, to, I love it. Like one thing that the team's told me a lot over the years when you when you start getting into and this doesn't apply as much to the top picks who are more known but like mm-hmm. when you see guys on the workout list who's like wow that guy's not even on the draft radar like but it matters for summer league it matters for 905 it matters for hey we have a baseline of this guy and we want to check how he's developed 
two summers from now. Yep. And that was, you know, that was a Malcolm Miller thing for them. That, there's been a couple guys like that who, hey, um, even a Matt Thomas thing. Like, he was supposed to be in summer league with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know neither of those guys worked out to the extent that some other guys have worked out, but they like to create a baseline to evaluate against and get to know a player a little bit. If Ben Matherin or Dyson Daniels are going to come in, hey, don't say no. Yeah. I was watching some uh, Dyson Daniels highlights from the G League. Very impressive. At the same time, I remember watching Delano Banton do all those moves. Now, it's, I'm not saying they're equivalent players. I'm just, you know, just give me a little perspective. Did you have the same um, reaction that I had watching a lot of G League where, like, obviously Dyson Daniels is the best prospect, but Marjan Beauchamp is like, oh, he's he's Raptorsy. I could, yeah. I could see that. He's probably gone by 33, but he's one of the names that I circled that, like, if he falls, that... I could see it. Like you could, you could have dropped a 905 jersey on him in that those G League Ignite games, and I would be like, yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about the 33rd pick, the options there, because um, you know to quickly plug this, you're actually going to be taking over the show, um, because me and Alex are both choosing to take ill-timed vacations, I guess. But <laughs> um, yeah, during draft time, you will be taking uh, ownership of the show. I think what for a week? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's technically four shows because the Jays have an afternoon game That's one right, day, yeah. so we get bumped. Uh, but yeah, so I'm really, looking for, I'm really looking forward to this. We're gonna have wall-to-wall coverage of the 33rd pick. To give you a tease here, I um, asked you to prepare three potential options of the Raptors at the 33 pick. You know, players that could fall within that range. Honestly, it's such a murky range. Mm-hmm. You don't know for sure, but this yeah, draft look. especially, like we dealt with this last year a little bit, where hey, everyone agreed on who the top five were or the top four, yeah. and then after that, it was wide open. This year's draft, there's not even that much agreement through the lottery, through, like, yeah. you're talking about, you know, Benedict Matherin and Dyson Daniels, the two guys that I mentioned that reportedly the Raptors worked out. Like, those guys have wide draft ranges. There's, mm-hmm. there's a, there are a couple guys that, like, if they get out of the lottery, like, maybe they slide. We don't know what a winning team thinks of these kind of guys. So there are some guys with big, big uh, draft ranges. Um, you know, Jalen Williams is probably the one that, you know, you'd want to look at as the Raptors that has the widest draft range where, like, you might not get a sniff at him, or you might get him at thirty-three. No, like, there's a. It's a tough one mm. for that this year. Fair enough. Having said that, though, yes. Who you got? Okay, so I I took one from a couple different. I I kind of like blocked them off as like types, just okay. so we're not redundant here. So, um, one the first tier I looked at is guys who could potentially slide. So guys who have a wide draft range but are probably gone. And the one I'd want to look at most there is Patrick Baldwin Jr. Okay. Uh, if he were to slide, he's an interesting um, guy. He's out of Milwaukee. Again, a 6'9 forward. Um, he didn't shoot very well. Oh, no, I've, I've heard enough. I've heard enough. That's a Raptor right there. <laughs> a 6'9 guy who didn't shoot very well. Yes. Anyway, keep going. Uh, he's also only 19. He's uh-huh. not a shot creator yet. And that Milwaukee team was basically like, you got to do everything for us. And he shot like 36% or whatever. Um, he only took seven uncontested threes the whole season. So uh, right now, here yeah, it it's just like, it was a bad team environment. So he's an interesting one where like that guy is going to wow teams in the workout cycle. And I wonder if that's one where a team like the Raptors looks at him and is like, Hey, he was in a bad situation. We can get more out of him than this. And at the 33 pick, he's probably a first-round pick. But at the 33 pick, you can look past some of those warts for yeah. uh, the good stuff. Fair enough. All right, another option? Yeah, we got to go with the Canadian tier. 
Okay, uh, go ahead. Leonard Miller oh, yeah, yeah. is extremely yep. Raptors y. Like, that is just a long, long, long guy mm-hmm. at a 40 year prep, uh, 6'10. He's still only 18. 7'3 wingspan, I believe. Yeah. Huge hands. Yeah. And yeah. there's a lot of, like, a lot of the draft Twitter people are, I've seen a lot of tweets of, like, hey, why would you reach for this guy at 14 or 15 when you can get Leonard Miller in the second round? Like, he's that kind of guy. Now, He's not a nearer term guy. No. So that's a that's a little bit of a tough one where what is the Raptors philosophy with this pick? Are you trying to get a Delano Banton type that can help you, that can maybe play some minutes for you right away? Now, we didn't expect that with Delano Banton. I don't think it's fair to expect that out of any number 33 pick. I agree. Like, any one of these guys is going to be on that roster, and when I do a, a look at it at the start of the season, I'm going to be like, cool, 905. Mm-hmm. because most of these guys are going to be best off long-term developmentally with the 905. So that's where I look at a guy like Leonard Miller at the 33 pick, and I'm like, man. He's intriguing. If you Very can, intriguing. If you can accept the fact, hey, I'm not going to get much from this guy this year, there's a lot of interest there. Yeah. And then quickly, last one. Yeah, the most Raptors guy I could find, Justin Lewis out of Marquette. Um, you can dig in on him a little bit more, but once again. the 6'9 forward with a 7-foot wingspan. He's yeah. a 6'7 wing with a big wingspan, All and right. uh, he's... You know, he's a Marquette guy, so you know he's tough. You know, he's yep. he's a big dude. Like, I think he was two, listed at 245 at Marquette. He's down to 235 right, now. Right. He had, like, the similar measurables to OG. Yes, very right. similar. It's, yeah. again, um, and he's he's actually an interesting one of, like, it's possible he goes undrafted, and then he becomes my top mm. undrafted free agent target. Uh, one other name to keep an eye on on the undrafted target free agent, Justin Champagne's twin brother, Julian. Ooh, Currently no. mocked to go 60th over, or 58th overall because this draft doesn't have 60 picks. Um, he's Mr. Irrelevant right now on Sam Vecini's latest mock. So okay. uh, the twin coming in on a two-way. He's a better scorer. We know that. Yeah, but so. I don't I, I don't think there's such thing as a better offensive rebounder. No, that's not this possible. Is, you could tell they played a lot of one-on-one games where uh, Julian <laughs> was a better scorer. So Justin had to get his own rebound all the time to try yeah. to keep up. Yeah, fair enough. All right, that does it for us today. I'm your host, William Lou. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on Sports Life. I'm 90 The Fan. Uh, thanks again to my guest, Blake Murphy, our board producer, Derek Brandale, and Jennifer Rolnick for helping us with the YouTube stream. I will talk to you tomorrow.